Now we are about one month, maybe a month and a half into the coronavirus pandemic here in our country. It was really about a month ago that it began to pick up steam. And when you just think about the overall situation that we are facing in our country today, we realize more and more workers are being furloughed or laid off. Businesses are shutting down operations. Parks are, are empty. Hospitals are being transformed into COVID-19 units. And every day, every single day, the death count is higher than the day before. We don't really even see a light at the end of the tunnel. And it is, it is complex and it has led to many questions. And, and the question that many people are asking right now is what do we need most in this moment? What is our most urgent need right now in the face of sickness and death? What is our most urgent need in this moment? And so much say the most urgent need is economic, we need another stimulus bill, or we need to reopen the economy, or we need to somehow get businesses back off the ground. Some would say that the, the greatest need has much more to do with just getting the situation under control and our health. We need more ventilators, we need more PPE, we need a drug, we need a vaccine. Some would say that the, the, what we need most is, is better social distancing measures. There are many things we could point to and say, this is what we need most right now. This is what needs to happen right now. And what we could probably say about all of those things is that, yes, we, we do need these things in some measure, in some way. And we pray that God would give wisdom to our leaders to make these hard decisions. When we really ask, what is our most urgent need in sickness and in death? The answer given in the scriptures is of an entirely different nature. What is our greatest need when facing sickness and death? The answer given to us in the Bible is faith. Our greatest need right now is faith. And when I say faith, I don't just mean faith generically. I don't mean faith in political leaders. I don't mean faith in scientists or faith in doctors or faith in the vague notion that there are better days ahead. Our greatest need in sickness and death is faith in the one who has power over sickness and death. Our greatest need in sickness and death is faith in Jesus Christ. You can open your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke this morning, and the story we'll be looking at comes from Luke chapter 8, verses 40 through 56. Luke 8, 40 through 56. I was drawn to this story on this Resurrection Sunday because this is a story about the ravaging effects of sickness in our lives. This is a story about the devastation that can develop in our hearts because of death. And this is also a story about the help and healing and grace and power that is available to us through a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. What I want to do this morning is I want to walk through this story together, just, just hear the story as Luke tells it, and then take a few moments to consider what God is teaching us through this story from Jesus' ministry. And so again, the text is Luke 8, 40 through 56. 
and we will pick up in verse 40. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. Okay, so we are dropping in really just in the center of Jesus' public ministry this morning. He has already been working miracles uh, so far in the Gospel of Luke in, in such a way that now his reputation precedes him. He was out of town uh, in another place, but now he's back in the region of Galilee, and the people hear that he's coming back, and they create a welcome party, and, and they come, a huge crowd throngs about him. The, the best uh, thing I could picture in my mind to try to figure out what, what this looks like is those pictures you see and videos you see of when the Beatles came to America and the crowds of people all around them. This is kind of like what the picture Luke is painting for us, that when Jesus came back, his reputation preceded him as a miracle worker, and the crowds want to see a miracle, and they throng about him. They're all waiting for him as he comes back, ready to see another miracle. Let's keep reading verses 41 and 42. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. And so Luke tells us about this person in the crowd, a man who works his way through the crowd to Jesus. He tells us his name and who he is. This is Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue. Now, in local culture at that time, in Jewish culture at that time, the synagogue was not just the place of worship, but the, the, the synagogue was really the place of Jewish culture. It was the center of Jewish life. And so a ruler of the synagogue like Jairus would have been a well-known and a highly respected figure in the community. And, and yet in this moment, Jairus does not care about his dignity, does he? He has a 12-year-old daughter at home who is dying. And like any parent would be, Jairus is desperate. But he's heard about Jesus. And so he comes in this moment, and he works his way through the crowds, and he falls down at Jesus' feet, and he pleads with him to come with him to his house to heal his dying daughter. Now, we don't know what Jesus said back, but we know that he received his request because they begin to head toward Jairus' house. And Luke tells us that the whole crowd is coming with him and continuing to press all around him. Jesus went, the people pressed around him. Verse 43, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on positions, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. So while Jesus and Jairus are working their way through the crowds, walking to Jairus' house to get to Jairus' daughter who is dying, Luke tells us about someone else who is in the crowd. Now, he doesn't give us her name. We don't know her name. All we know about her is her condition. She had suffered a continual discharge of blood for 12 years, and she has spent all her money, all she had, on physicians looking for healing. And this has left her not only sick, but also destitute. And not only is she sick and destitute, but in Jewish culture, on top of that, she was considered unclean. She was an outcast because of this. Now, she had also heard of Jesus. She'd heard that he can heal her. She's too ashamed to come to him publicly and to make her situation known, but she thinks to herself, 
if, if I could just get close enough to touch him. And she works her way through the crowd and she reaches out her hand and her fingers and just, just grazes the garment of Jesus. And Luke tells us that when she touched the garment of Jesus, that after 12 years of being sick, she was immediately healed. That moment she was healed. The bleeding stopped. Verses 45 through 47, and Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. You know, these verses give us one of the most unique glimpses of Christ in the Gospels. Though the crowds are literally pressing in around Jesus, the moment that the woman touched the fringe of his garment, Jesus somehow felt the power go out from him. He felt a sudden surge of weakness in his body, and he asks the crowd, who touched me? Now you can just imagine everybody, even though they are pressing up against him in this moment, they all take a step back and they say, it wasn't me, it wasn't me. It wasn't me, and they all take a step back until you just see the woman alone before Jesus, exposed. She cannot remain hidden. And so she comes to Jesus. She falls at his feet, and she tells her story. And she tells how she touched the fringe of his garment, and she tells how she was immediately healed. Now, how does Jesus respond to this? In verse 48, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Jesus' response is both affectionate and affirming. He calls her daughter. This is a family word. It's a family term, and it communicates Christ's love, and, and it communicates that, that he is saying, you are a member of my father's family. And then he makes sure, he wants to make sure that she knows exactly what has happened and exactly how she was healed. He wants to make sure she doesn't view Jesus as, as some magic rabbit. But it wasn't just because she touched Jesus that she was healed. How many others were touching Jesus at this time? No, he says, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. She was healed because of her faith in Jesus, because she was believing in Jesus. This faith is what made her well, and now she can experience Christ's peace in her life. Let's continue the story, verses 49 and 50. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear only believe, and she will be well. We almost forgot all about Jairus during Jesus' encounter with this unnamed woman. But you can imagine the anxiety that Jairus was feeling as Jesus stops his journey and asks who touched him. And then delays to speak to her, to interact with her. You know, to Jairus, every moment matters. His daughter is dying. And in fact, the delay proved to be costly. While Jesus stopped to speak to the woman, Jairus, 
his daughter died. The messenger tells Jairus to leave Jesus alone. Leave the teacher alone. It's, it's too late. She's already dead. But death is not too late for Jesus. He looks at Jairus and he says, Do not fear. Only believe. And she will be made well. In effect, he says, Did you not just hear me tell this woman that her faith has made her well? Don't be afraid, Jairus. Have faith in me, and your daughter will be well also. Verses 51 through 53, when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, do not weep, for she's not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. So they get to Jairus' house, and they leave the crowd behind, and they go inside. The room is filled with mourners, and these were probably paid mourners, people who were paid to come and publicly mourn when someone died. Just picture the scene. A, a dead 12-year-old girl weeping and mourning all around her, and a devastated father and mother. This is the scene in that room. Yet Jesus is there. Jesus is there. Jesus enters into this dark scene of death and he commands the mourners to stop their weeping. He says, you think she's dead, but she's only asleep. Now Luke tells us that they did, in fact, stop their weeping, but it wasn't because they believed in Jesus. It was to laugh at Jesus. There's no mistake in it. She was dead. She was so dead that the mourners were there weeping, and it was laughable to think that she was just asleep. Of course, they don't understand what Jesus is saying. It's not that Jesus thought the girl was actually just asleep. He knows she's dead just like they do, but he also knows what he is about to do. Look at verses 54 and 55. But taking her by the hand, he called saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given her to eat. So Jesus kneels down by the bedside of this dead girl, and he takes her hand. And just like a parent would come into their child's bedroom and say, It's time to wake up, Jesus says, Wake up, arise. Child, arise. It's time to get up. And in that moment, her spirit returns to her physical body, and she wakes up. And Jesus even says, she's hungry. Give her something to eat. She's back. She's back. That's the story. That's, that is the account that Luke gives us in this chapter. And, and what we want to do now is ask ourselves, what are some of the themes that Luke is teaching us? What are some of the, the key things that God wants us to see from this story? What are we supposed to learn about Jesus, about ourselves this morning? I think the first thing that we see in this story is our common humanity. We see our common humanity. Now, now Luke is careful in the presentation of the story to present Jairus and the woman in contrast to one another. We have Jairus' name. 
we know Jairus' occupation. He's a religious leader, a community leader, a man with some wealth, a man of significant status. Now, on the other hand, we don't know the woman's name. We don't know anything about her except that she has nothing, except that she is an unclean outcast in the community. These two figures could not be more opposite than they are. And yet, for all the ways that they are unlike each other, Luke also draws their stories together. Jairus has a dying 12-year-old girl at home. This woman has been bleeding for 12 years. Jairus falls at Jesus' feet before the crowds to implore Jesus for help. And this woman falls at Jesus' feet before the crowds to confess that she touched him. Jairus' daughter needs healing. Jesus calls the woman daughter. You, you see, he's, they're, they're so different, and yet Luke is bringing their stories together in a very intentional way to communicate to us something. That the, Though Jairus and the woman are so different from one another, in this story, their common humanity is on display as they both face in their own way the reality of sickness in our lives. This is what has bound them together, sickness. As different as they are, in this moment, they are both dealing with the reality that we are human and we get sick. Sickness doesn't distinguish between religious leaders and religious outcasts. Sickness doesn't distinguish between someone who's wealthy and someone who is destitute. Sickness doesn't distinguish between the named and the unnamed. And we're seeing this reality today in a very unique way in this pandemic. When the news reports on who has COVID-19, there are two types of articles I've seen. I've either seen an article that says this well-known named celebrity has coronavirus. Or I've seen articles saying that this many unnamed faceless people have contracted the disease. But the thing is, the coronavirus doesn't distinguish like we do. The coronavirus doesn't care if you're a celebrity or not. It doesn't regard how much money someone has or how well-known someone is. Every one of us is fundamentally human, and we are living in a world that is uh, broken with sickness and death. We all share this, no matter who we are. Now, this has always been true, but right now, in a country where we are so used to having medicine to counteract sickness, and, and right now we don't, we have the opportunity to feel this reality even more. We are all, each one of us, facing sickness and death this morning. Whether it be from the coronavirus or from something else, we all share this. We all face sickness and death. And this story reminds us of that. It illustrates this for us. Now second, this story presents Jesus to us as someone who has the power over sickness and death. First, it shows us that Jesus has the power to heal the unhealable. Jesus does for this woman what no physician could do for her in 12 years with all her money. Without even saying a word, just with her touch of his garment, she is instantly healed by the power of Jesus. And what this means is that Jesus has the power to heal our sicknesses as well. Jesus has the power to heal any sickness, any disease, temporary or chronic, at any moment in time. But, but that's not all the story shows us, because Jesus delayed, and through his delay, Jairus' daughter was not just sick, but she was actually dead. In delaying, he demonstrates that he doesn't just have the power to heal sickness, 
he demonstrates that he wields the power over death itself. Death never means that it's too late for Jesus because he has the power to restore someone's spirit to someone's body so that they have life again. This is who Jesus is. He is the one who has power over sickness and death. So, so, so we, all, we all face the reality of sickness and death. Jesus is the one who has power over sickness and death. And then the third thing that this story shows us is that the way that we experience this healing and resurrecting power of Jesus is by faith in him. We experience this power by faith in him. He declares to the woman, your faith has made you well. He speaks to Jairus, only believe and she will be made well. Now, now faith, biblically, is a believing trust. It is, it is a believing confidence. And it is through their believing in Jesus, trusting him, putting their confidence in him, that Jairus and this woman experience his healing power and his resurrecting power. We experience these things through faith in him. So is that it then? Is, is, is that what we take away? If you're sick, do you just need to believe in Jesus and he will heal you? If you've lost someone in your life, you just need to put your faith in him and he will bring them back. And if he doesn't do these things, what does that mean? Does that mean that you simply don't have enough faith? You see, this, this story teaches us that we all face the reality of sickness and death. And it teaches us that Jesus is the one who has power over sickness and death. And it teaches us that we experience this power through faith in him. But it is wrong to apply those truths in the way that I just described. It would be wrong for me to promise to you who are sick, to promise to you who are dying, to promise to you who have lost someone on the basis of this passage, believe in Jesus and he will instantly heal you. That would be wrong. It's not that Jesus can't heal you. It's not that Jesus can't do these things. But it would be wrong because there's a much bigger story that Luke is telling in this gospel. There's a much bigger story going on in this book than what we just read. Now we haven't read the last verse of our passage yet, and I want to look at it now. Look at verse 56. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Doesn't that seem strange to you? I mean, if you had the power to heal sickness and raise the dead, wouldn't you want that to be known? If someone today could say, I can heal everyone who gets COVID-19, and if anyone's died, I can bring them back to life, wouldn't it be unloving for that person to keep that information to themselves? In a world that is continually ravaged by sickness and devastated by death, why would someone who has power over these things keep it hidden? The answer is because Jesus didn't come to be a physical healer. Jesus came to deal with our ultimate problem. The problem that is underneath the problems of sickness and death. Jesus came to take away our sin. The purpose of his healings that he performed in his public ministry was to demonstrate who he is. This is so important. Why did Jesus heal people then? If this isn't why he came, it was to demonstrate who he is. He truly is the one 
who has power over sickness and power over death. And why is that? Because he is the son of God. These, these miracles demonstrate who he is and they give a glimpse of what he will do in eternity. But the healings themselves were not the purpose of his ministry. In the very next chapter, in Luke chapter 9, verse 22, Jesus tells us his mission. He tells us why he came. And it was not to heal. Listen to what he said. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. This is why Jesus came. The one who has the power to heal any sickness, the one who has the power to raise people from the dead, came to die on a cross and be raised from the dead. And the reason he did is because at the root of sickness and death is sin. Sickness and death are in the world because of our sin against our Creator. We have rebelled against our God. We have chosen to live for ourselves instead of for His glory. And sickness and death are the righteous judgment of God for our sin. That means that we don't face the reality of sickness and death as victims. We face these things as those who deserve to die. And what's more, Scripture teaches us that, that death, physical death, is not the end of our judgment. It is the beginning of that judgment. Physical death gives way to everlasting judgment. It gives way to eternal judgment, to a, an experience of never-ending death under the wrath of God, separated from His life forever and ever. The good news of the gospel is that in his great love for us, God sent his son into the world to die on a cross for our sins, to, to die the death that we deserve to die. And today we celebrate the reality that after he died for our sins, he rose again. He paid the penalty for our sin in his death, and then he defeated death itself in his resurrection. Jesus came to save us from this ultimate and this fundamental problem, sin itself. This is why he came. And with that context, with that bigger story going on in the Gospel of Luke, this, this is why Jesus told his parents, the parents not to say anything, because he had to focus on his mission, which was not to be a healer, but to die on the cross. And because of that context now, now we're in a position to, to expand on the things that we're learning from this story. We talked about how this story shows our common humanity and that we all face the reality of sickness and death. But now we can see that it's not just sickness and death that we all share. We face the realities of sickness and death and sin. This is our common humanity. This is what we share. We are all sinners who deserve to die. Every one of us, from the richest to the poorest, the named and the unnamed, leader to outcast. This is what unites us, is that we are sinners who deserve to die. No matter what your status is in this life, that is true of each one of us. Yes, we face sickness, and yes, we face death, but why do we face these things? Because we have sinned, and we deserve these things. 
We said Jesus is the one who has power over sickness and death. But now we can see it's not just power over sickness and death. Jesus is the one who has power over sickness and death and our sin. Jesus is the one who can free us from our sin. He is the one in whom we can have forgiveness of our sins. In him, we can be released from the judgment of death that we deserve for our sin. And just like we said that the, the woman was made well through faith and Jairus' daughter was raised from the dead through faith. So we said that we can experience his healing and resurrection power in our lives through faith in him. But now we see a much bigger picture, don't we? Think about this. Why didn't Jesus just let the woman go? She was healed already. She had been healed. No, but he wanted to draw her into faith in him. He knew that she didn't just need healing. She needed Jesus. She needed him. Why did he let Jairus' daughter die? Because he wanted to draw Jairus into a personal relationship of faith in him. And the reason he wanted them to have faith in him is because we don't just need healing. And we don't just need to somehow save ourselves from physical death. We need forgiveness. And we need everlasting life. And this is what Jesus offers us through faith. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we can experience both forgiveness of our sins now and a final resurrection to eternal life. Forgiveness today with the hope of life forever through faith in Jesus. This passage draws us to see that what we need most is not just healing. And what we need most is not just a way to avoid death. What we need most is forgiveness of our sins and restoration to Jesus Christ and eternal life with Him. And we have these things through faith. And so, in application, what Jesus said to the woman and to Jairus, He says to us this morning, church, four things. He says, do not fear only believe you will be made well go in peace do not fear only believe you will be made well go in peace it, it is a scary time church it is it, it's an anxious time but jesus says to us do not fear do not fear do not fear getting sick do not fear dying, and do not fear judgment. Don't fear the ravages of a sin-broken world. Do not fear these things. You may ask, how, how can I not be afraid of these things? And that's what Jesus would say next, believe. Do not fear, only believe. He would say this morning, come and fall at my feet in believing trust. Believe that Jesus has the power to heal any sickness. Believe that this morning. He can heal any sickness. Believe that Jesus has the power to raise the dead. Believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Believe that he is the Son of God. But not only that, believe that Jesus came to do and he did what he said he would do. Believe that he died for your sins. Believe that he rose from the grave. Believe that he did what he came to do. He bore God's judgment for our sins. And that sacrifice was accepted. And we know it because he has risen again. 
believe these things, church. Do not fear, only believe. And if you believe in these things this morning, then hear the promise of Christ to you. He says, you will be made well. You will be made well. This is what Jesus promises to everyone who puts their faith in him. Ultimate wellness. Now this promise isn't manifested immediately. Again, the New Testament doesn't teach us that, that we are promised instantaneous healing whenever we are sick as Christians. No, no, believers still get sick. Followers of Jesus still die. It's not because they lack faith. No, Jesus has a much greater purpose for us. He promises ultimate wellness to all who believe. And it's a promise that though it is not manifested instantaneously, it holds true for all eternity. This promise holds true for all eternity. Those who have placed their trust in Christ and have received forgiveness of their sins that comes through his death and resurrection alone, we are promised resurrection life with Jesus forever. Real, glorious, eternal life with Jesus. But there is no more sickness and there is no more dying anymore. For those who believe in Jesus, sickness is nothing to fear and death never means it's too late. Just as Jesus said that the little girl was only sleeping, so believers who die are asleep. Our spirits are with Christ. Our bodies are sleeping until the day that Jesus raises them back to life and reunites our spirit with our bodies and gives us a body like his immortal, unperishable body. This is what he promises us. You will be made well. Because he died for our sins and rose again, those resurrection bodies will never be ravaged by sickness and death again. We will be made completely well by Jesus. He gives us a glimpse of what that looks like in this passage, but we will be made well forever and ever. Because he has dealt with our fundamental problem, our sin. And so do not fear, only believe, you will be made well and go in peace. Go in peace. In a time when the world is flooded with worry and anxiety, we can live our lives in the peace of Christ. We do not need to worry about being sick. We do not need to worry about dying. We do not need to worry about our jobs, about our finances. We do not need to be afraid. We can have peace. We can have peace because Jesus has died for us and risen again. And he's going to make us well. He's going to make all things well one day. We can have peace because death is nothing but a door to everlasting life where we will be with our glorious and loving Lord forever and ever. We can have peace because he is in complete control of our lives. And we can have peace because Jesus himself is our greatest need in sickness and death. And we have Jesus. He is ours forever and ever. And so this morning, do not fear this sin-broken world. Do not fear this sickness-ravaged world, this, this deathly world. Do not fear these things, but place your trust in Jesus Christ. Place your confidence in Jesus Christ, that he is the Son of God who died as a payment for your sins and then rose again. And live in the peace of this blood-bought promise that he will make you well for all eternity. He will make you well.
the moment we're going to sing a psalm that is based on the first question of the Heidelberg Catechism. The question is, what is our only hope in life and death? And the answer is that our souls belong to Jesus, that we belong, both body and soul, to Jesus. This is our hope in every trial in this life. And this is our hope in death. And it is a firm hope and a sure hope because Jesus himself has died and risen again from the dead. Let's celebrate that together this morning on this Resurrection Sunday.